record record all right welcome to worldwide bible class i'm pastor brian wolfmuller i just said that to everybody here but if you're watching the recording now you know what you're doing and we are studying the life of life of jacob with martin luther and we are at the place in the story where okay jacob's been 20 years with laban and he's finally had enough god says you've had enough his wife say you've had enough they oh you've had enough so they traveled down and laban has tracked him down with his brothers so think of Leah and Rachel's brothers have like this mob has come to to get Jacob. Rachel also had stolen some of the household idols from Laban, and Laban is really mad about that because Laban is so greedy. He just he's driven by greed in every way. So so Laban, if you can believe it, says uh, Jacob says we don't I don't have your idols. Laban says, yeah, right. And so he's searching the tents. He goes to Jacob's first, then Leah's tent, then the uh, maidservants. And now he's going to go to Rachel's tent. And we know she's hidden the idols. She sits on the camel saddle, kind of the camel, camel the stuff you put over the camel to ride the camel. She's laid that out. She's sitting on it and she has the idol underneath. And she's apologized. I can't get up because it's the it is as the way of women with me. And so so that's the spot where and and we are nervous because we know that Laban is such a scoundrel that he who knows what he'll do if he finds this idol. If he'll kill Rachel, if he'll kill Jacob, if he'll put him in if he'll enslave them all. I mean, this is I mean, this is big drama as we watch this unfold. Okay, so here we are. Genesis chapter 31, verse 33 is where we're going to start. All right. So, um, okay, something. Oh, this is going to be good because Zoom updated. I love it when it updates, so all the controls are all different. Well, we'll see how this goes. I'll just put it over there. Okay, so he goes, He. Uh, this is... Um, uh, This is Laban. Nabal. Remember how uh, uh, Luther's going to call him Nabal. He went out of Leah's tent and goes into Rachel's tent. Now we're at this is the big drama part. Bump. What's going to happen? What will what will they do? W will he find the idol there? And and what will his reaction be? Bump bump bump. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them under the camel's litter. That's what they call it, the litter. The you know, saddle blankets and stuff, and sat upon them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he did not find them. So can you imagine here? This guy is so greedy. He's searching his own kid's stuff. This is, ugh. And she said to her father, let not my Lord, curious, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find all, did not find the household gods. So, uh, Luther's commentary here. Uh, here Satan is aiming at Rachel's throat. For Laban enters her tent and searches everything very carefully. Nor could she hide the gods in her clothing, sleeves, or bedding. Nothing was left but her own body, which she covered with which she covered the idols. Therefore she hides the, and here's the teraphim, the idols, in the camel's litter. 
Not that they could be concealed there with sufficient safety for Laban could easily have searched what was spread out. But in addition, she covered them with the most shameful part of her body, for she sat on the litter. However, not even this is without danger, for he could have suspected, as avarice and hypocrisy is usually suspicious, that she, uh, that she was there was some hidden trick. Now, remember we talked about this, how, how you... The, the, the mirror of the conscience makes a reflection of yourself. And so it's easy for, for Laban to think that, that he's being tricked because he is such a, a tricker, etc. cetera. Uh, avarice and hypocrisy are usually suspicious. There's some hidden trick. He might have said, it's not without reason that I don't find you sitting in your customary place. What if the teferim are hidden here? But if he had ordered her to to rise uh, so that he might shake up and roll back the litter, the theft would have been made known and discovered. But she devises a very fine lie. She pretends that she is suffering from menstruation according to the custom of her sex. But it is becoming uh, uh, but it is becoming and reasons of health demand that at such a time a woman should not sit on the ground but rather on a bed or on a bundle of straw if a bed is lacking. In her extreme need and danger, she suddenly finds a helpful strategy and an experience bears witness that women have great ability to devise strategy on the spur of the moment. Here's, this is, inter it's very interesting to me how, like Luther's reflection on the differences of men and women and, and what men are generally good at and what women are generally good at. Uh, the, the, so that, so Luther says that we all know from experience that women have a great ability to buy strategy to the spur of the moment. Ooh, we need to do something here to, to solve the, to fix this problem, to, 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 to get out of a pinch. Therefore, Rachel is assisted by nature, by the character and industry of women with which this sex has been endowed. Although it has not been destined by God for government of the state or church, and this it here is uh, women, the, the sex, uh, this sex, Women has not been destined by God for the government of the state or church where the greatest strength of character and wisdom is required. They have nevertheless been ordained for the care of the home. So we'll remember the three estates, family or the home, the church and the state. And Luther here says that, that God has ordained the government of the state and the church. It's interesting. We know in the church, we have this understanding that that uh, the pastoral office is, is limited to men by St. Paul. Luther's going to see that also in the government. So that mostly it's a king uh, at the top. And even if you do have a queen, this has to do also with kind of military stuff and things like that. But that uh, the special gifts that God has given to women uh, find uh, their kind of most pristine application in the home, uh, perhaps the most important of all of the different estates. For the longer they deliberate about important and difficult matters, the more they complicate and obstruct the business. This is a, this, I don't know, I, I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to delve too far into it, but this, I mean, again, it's interesting to me to see Luther reflecting on the difference between men and women. And he, what the one, the, the thing that he sees here is that when when uh, when women are deliberating about important matters it becomes it becomes more complicated and kind of it holds things up it this is a very interesting we were just talking 
uh, there's I have like three or four conversations about this recently about how in general uh when men are thinking they're trying to get to the point they're trying to simplify things they're trying to whereas when women are thinking and reflecting they are that's not the point is the reflection itself that to embrace the complexity it's a more global kind of thought and and luther says when you're trying to make decisions about various things in the state it's better to wow you got to get to the point but the in the home it's just it's different for the first impulse of their nature in sudden danger is usually excellent and very uh and very successful so the first impulse that uh that women have Blam. But then the longer it becomes a conversation and deliberation, it gets. If you've had that experience in your own marriage and family, you can you can relate what it is. The father is therefore deceived by a womanish lie. So the father here is Laban. He's deceived by a womanish lie and is deluded by what appears to be a very honorable way of thinking. For he does not dare to search what nature itself has hidden, nor does he have anything further to say but he's deterred by natural shame. Finally, something has shamed Laban. There's nothing that has ever shamed him up to this point, but now there is. Let's see, Lee says that Rachel sat on the idols. This is a ridicule of the false gods. That's right. It's, and it seems like this is the whole, the whole point. Luther's going to point out how this idol theft was, in fact, something of a good work, because what is Laban doing with the idols anyways? Okay, so so Laban is put off. But but here's the point. Luther says, God has a part of this. Because if we know Laban, we know that he is he is not gonna be like, oh, okay, I don't you don't need to move. He's suspicious of everything and worried about deception in every way. So that God has to intervene here and and help Jacob and Rachel and Leah, etc. God has a part in this. For he turned off his understanding. This is Laban's understanding. So, so Luther understands that what happens here is that God actually dials down Laban's animosity and cleverness so that he doesn't, and he smote him with blindness so that he should not search too carefully. This is it. So he doesn't search around. Laban believes what his daughter said is true, namely that she wanted to sit uh, by herself because of her sickness. Uh, then, too, it was not likely that uh, uh, that she would sit on idols, for he did not think that this was possible because of her state of health, brought up in his house, would steal the gods and divine worship of her father and treat them so shamefully as to place them under the camel's litter and sit on them. In other words, who who would do that? My daughter would not hold my uh, my religion to such slight esteem, he thought the religion in which she was brought up from her tender years. So he deceives himself beautifully. <laughs> who deceives who? Laban deceives himself. His daughter added the lie, not in fun or maliciously, but as a very serviceable and necessary lie to offer her father an opportunity to deceive himself. This, therefore, is the working government of God in the dangerous emergencies and deeds of the saints. For if he himself did not smite the, their adversaries with avarice and blindness and deceive their faculties so that they do not think the thoughts that should most of all be thought, often even their most crafty thoughts would profit nothing. Indeed, it is a surprising thing that Rachel was so resolute that she was able to despise the idol she had previously regarded as most holy, paying no regard to the danger that threatened her from her angry father. 
For we indeed treat temples, images, and our altars with greater reverence than that with which Rachel treated the idols of her father. She just sits on them. And, the, and th this shows her faith in God. It's, it's, it's really quite amazing. What is this idol? Nothing. I mean, if you had any sort of even superstition left in these in the pagan worship, you would have never known something. You would have never done something like this. But she hid them in the litter and placed them under her body. Moreover, the speech in which she excuses herself to her father for not rising for him is strange. She addresses her father, and yet she does not call him father, but Lord, saying, let my Lord not be angry, etc. This is certainly a grave sin, because she does not respect and honor her father as she should have done according to the fourth commandment. This is interesting that the, the Luther's saying here that the word Lord is would be a word of disrespect when when talking when a when a daughter's talking to her father because the the honorable word is father uh so so she should have addressed him as father but she doesn't she addresses him in lord and luther says it's a it's a disrespect it's it, I, I don't I didn't get that, but nor are women so weak when they suffer their menstrual periods that they cannot rise or walk. So the whole thing is kind of a trick. Now, why didn't Laban know that? He he was certainly not paying attention. And this, this is the point. He doesn't, he cares only about himself. Now, Luther comments, Moses did not relate this without purpose. If I slow me down with questions, if if you need to, because I'm, I'm a, just slightly anxious to get to this some further down the, the page here. Let me see. Kind of off top, Luke says, I've wondered how it was that it's possible Jacob to wrestle with God. We're getting to it. We'll get there next year, though. Um, but it's what we call a theophany, God appearing, but it's really more of a Christophany, Christ appearing. I was talking to, did I tell you guys this? I was talking to David Preuss. You remember David. He's over in, in Europe now. He was in the Dominican Republic, and he did the Worldwide Bible Class for on Mark back in 2020 when I got sick, uh, uh, he says his favorite of all of Luther's works, all of them, is his commentary on Jacob wrestling with, with the Lord. We'll see if it's our favorite when we get there. Moses does not relate this without purpose. It seems almost to mean that she ridiculed her father as an idolater who was searching for a statue so anxiously and furiously. But I make no affirmation on this matter. She could also have done it for this reason, that there might be a greater pretense and outward show, as though she was not only quite prepared to rise for her father like most obedient daughter, but also that she might conduct herself like a maidservant toward her master with servile fear and concern for being hindered by her ad, uh, adverse health, for being able to show due respect to her father. So, again, Luther's saying, I'm not sure why... We can't know exactly why Rachel does what it does. Is it a disrespect? Is it a mockery? Or is it even a further humbling? I'm not even your daughter. I'm your servant. And that's servile fear. This the, this difference, by the way, uh, this servile fear, uh, when we talk about the fear of God, um, you remember that, uh, who, who gives us this? I think Philip Melanchthon teaches us this in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. When we talk about the fear of God, we talk about it in two different ways. So there's the fear of a servant, which is this. It's the servile fear. And it's... Um, 
that's what Luther's talking about here. This the fear of the servant. It's a, it's just a a fear of tyranny, a fear of of abuse. You you are doing the right thing so you don't get harmed, but then there's the fear of a son. They call this filial fear. And and it's a different kind of fear because the fear of the servant for the master is very different than the fear of the son for the father. So the son also worries that he the he doesn't want to disappoint the father. He wants to he's he's wary of the father's discipline also, but he the son knows the father's love. The servant only knows the master's wrath. And so there's a there's a totally different when it, when we're called to the fear of God, we're called to this filial fear, not to the servile fear. Okay. Now, <clears throat> um, women in the Holy Scriptures are accustomed to call their husbands lords, like Abraham, etc. But children don't act like likewise. My father said Elijah to Elijah, but whatever. So my father is a higher office than Lord. This is the point. But whatever the reason for this appellation was, it's very suitable for beautifying and adorning a lie. Uh, it worked out fine, in other words. Laban, however, raged in vain, both by making threats and by searching the individual tents. Accordingly, Jacob will set against him another sharp and lengthy refutation of his insults, for he in turn will pile up his own merits and the ingratitude of Laban. So now we turn to Jacob's response to Laban. So, so just think. 20 years, Laban has been abusing Jacob. Laban has been riding him down, taking advantage of him. He he tricked him first with the with his wife. He wants to marry Rachel. Instead, Laban tricks him. He marries Leah, then Rachel, and then he has to work for another seven years. And then he so that's 14 years. And then he works another six years. So finally he's like, okay, I've worked off my Seven years of service for Leah, my seven years of service for Rachel. Now I got to have my own, you know, family and all this other stuff. So I'm going to work for another six years. And they make this agreement and Laban's changing it over and over again, stealing from him, abusing him, working him to death. So 20 years he's he's been riding Jacob. So finally Jacob goes away. He didn't steal anything from him, but he left like a thief because Laban wouldn't have let him leave. So he, he tracks him down, he he threatens him, even though the Lord tells him, don't say anything, he does anyways. And so finally Jacob's going to, he's had enough. And he's going to say, all right, look, buddy, look, this is about, this is enough. And they're going to set up a, they're going to make an oath and set up the monument. So verse, verse 36, then Jacob became angry. Finally, I mean, 20 years, he, uh, Jacob has a long fuse. But now we get to it, 20 years, and he upbraided Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what's my offense? What's my sin that you've hotly pursued me? Although you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen. They may decide between the two of us. Now, he even if he did take stuff, it would have been fine because the Laban was stealing from him the whole time. And Jacob is going <clears> to... <throat> Luther kind of interrupts the speech, but look at what Jacob says over here. You search all my things, set it here before me. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. I could have. I didn't even, I didn't even take a salary from the rams to eat, to, to provide substance. I, uh, not only that, that which was torn by beasts, I didn't bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So the 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 
uh, sheep thieves would come and steal the stuff, and and Laban and, and Laban wouldn't even let uh, Jacob register it as a business loss. He had to pay him from his own money, from his own flocks. He Jacob is bringing over the sheep to make up for the sheep that's lost. And who knows? They they steal some sheep sheep from Jacob. They steal some from Laban's flocks, and Jacob now has to take his own. And it's a double loss now. He he I he bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day, the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. You wouldn't even let me rest for a moment. I lived out there in the wilderness, day and night, keeping an eye out. All of this for you. You gave me nothing. You required all. If you and if you found something of yours in my tent, then it it's what you owed me anyway. But I didn't even take anything. And I endeavored to come on this long journey with just what I've been able to scrape together. When when you've when the Lord has blessed me because you failed to steal it from me. Thus I've been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. You you, you see, this Laban, God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So that Jacob knows that God visited Laban and rebuked him. How he knows it is it did is it from what Laban mentioned already? I mean, Laban doesn't mention a rebuke; he just mentions that God came to him and talked to him. But but Jacob knows uh, he knows the affliction that he's endured under Laban's oppression, and finally he's making the case. It's pretty amazing. At long last, so over to Luther here, at long last, Jacob is kindled to anger, and he relies on God's admonition and the rebuke made to Laban. Remember the night before how the Lord appeared to him. That's what he's talking about. For he's moved with indignation at the matter, and yet he has more confidence in God's judgment than his own innocence. From this, he derives courage and consolation. Why, and why why does Luther know this? What where is he getting this idea that Jacob is more convinced of God's anger than his own innocence? It's because here God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So it depends on it's it's what God has done. That's the thing that he's leaning into. God this this is what gives him courage and consolation. And this is important because if you're if you haven't done anything wrong, you can have some courage. But if you know that God is on your side, now that's real courage. That's real courage. We, we, everything, even, even when we do the right thing, it's always stained with the, the, our own original sin, our own false desires, our own whatever's going on. But God, who is good and pure, when he's working, now we can have confidence. So this is what he wants to say. And so here's how Luther, remember how he does, he'll just take like this little line from Jacob, and he'll sort of expand it. There's an ASL, and I'll show you what that looks like. There's an ASL sign for that. So it's so you have a point, but you're expanding it. That's why you guys should all come to the Church Interpreter Training Institute. You can learn your, your ABCs and just improve your ASL. It'll be great. February, February 16th. It'll be great. 
Uh, let's see. Um, God has seen my lowliness and my affliction and has chided you on account of the tyranny you have exercised against me. For if I had been guilty of some sin before God, I would have borne that blame, not you. It, that's he, that's Jacob is doing that the whole time. He's He's absorbing the losses. But as matters stand, I'm certain of my innocence, and I know that the toils of my servitude have been approved by God, but that your ingratitude and all your actions have displeased him. This is the confidence and glory of Jacob, that he has on his side the judgment of God, who justifies him and condemns his adversary. So when God is on our side, this I have to remember this sometimes, it's, if everybody in the whole world hated you and God is happy with you, then God be praised. That's what, that's what we're after. If everybody in the world loves you and God is upset with you, then you're in trouble. It's got it's the it's the concern. What does God think? That's the thing that drives Jacob here. Moreover, there's an additional factor of the very firm testimony of Laban's experience and conscience, for he describes the whole course of his own life and that of his father-in-law, and proves that by this also Laban is convicted of injustice and cruelty. Now Luther's really gonna lean into Laban's conscience here. And he's going to say that even though Laban is such an inhumane, uh, there's how he said before, there's no human affection, there's no normal, he's a beast, there's still the conscience working, and that Laban is even going to be guilty in his own conscience. This is a, it's a, as much conscience talk as we've had in Genesis is going to come up now. It's interesting to track through Luther's discussion of the conscience. Where it comes up most is in the commentary on Isaiah. And that's what my buddy, uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, um, wrote that book, Reading Isaiah with Luther. And he really honed in on the conscience. And and I did this. I, I said, I wonder if Pastor Ketchelmeyer is right about this, that it's especially in in the Isaiah commentary that Luther thinks about the conscience. So I did a word search for conscience and all of Luther's works in English. It's, you know, it's pretty handy, this computer program, you can do it. And of all of Luther's writings, the conscience comes up most of all in the Isaiah commentary. It's amazing. Luther's really thinking about it. Isaiah's really thinking about it, but here he's thinking about it in terms of Laban's conscience. Accordingly, he, Jacob, answers a fool according to his folly, but in such a way that he observes what Solomon adds, lest he become like him, lest the fool seem wise in his own eyes. For Solomon orders us to instruct, censure, upbraid sinners and fools in season and out of season, that they may not seem wise to themselves, that is, that they may not uh, remain in the opinion that they did that they did the right thing by sinning. But God rebukes, but God's rebukes are to be set forth, and their life and evil deeds should be disclosed that they may feel that they have sinned and may repent. So that that we speak to the fool according to his folly for the purpose of repentance. And this is a this is a key thing here, that that repentance is the goal. It would be great if Laban would repent of his folly and and recognize his his godless avarice and greed mm. so that this upbraiding this rebuke is for the purpose of repentance this is what god is uh always always getting um for i uh for if i for instance should want to contend with him by means of lies and false accusations then i would become like him 
if I if, if I'm gonna go if I'm gonna kind of out greed Laban or out pride Laban or out trick Laban, if I'm gonna go toe to toe with him on his own terms, then I'm gonna join him in his folly. This Carrie and I were talking about this the other day. This is very difficult when so when when you see, for example, like a a political problem. The temptation is to solve it politically, like to address it politically. But how do you how do you do this without joining the fool in his folly, without becoming the very thing that you're trying to fix? It's difficult. Uh, so here's Jacob. This is like Luther wrestling through the Jacob, like how he would think about this. For I should want to contend with him by means of lies and false accusations. I'd become like him. He should be rebuked in such a way that he's confounded in his folly. This is God's judgment. Your conscience, remember the conscience here, your conscience and your whole previous life have proved you guilty. See that you acknowledge your guilt. Jacob employs this kind of reproof against Laban. What did I do, he asked. What's my transgression? What's my sin? You've heaped up against me great wagon loads of insults and accusations. You've called me thief, cattle stealer, temple robber, subverter of your religion. Show and prove only one of these, and I'll pay a fitting penalty. But if you cannot, then you betray your fickleness and inordinate desire for uh, for lying. For by your silence, you confess that you've lied, and indeed you are convicted both by the testimony of God and by that of your own conscience. You can bring forward nothing in which I have sinned or omitted any of these things which I should have done. Now, ironically... Jacob is innocent here, but Rachel is not. I mean, she has stolen the idols, but again, this is the point is like, that's like the least that, that, that Laban should have done. I mean, this is, this all has to be understood under the, the rubric of the, of the wicked tyranny of Laban. Here, Jacob continues, you can bring forward nothing in which I have sinned or omitted any of those things which I should have done. All of your accusing has been slanderous, pure lies, and the raging of a madman. You are confounded and condemned by your own judgment. I have God as a witness of my innocence and your conscience as well. Again, the conscience. In this way, one must delouse a fool with a club. <laughs> this must be one of those kind of German sayings. Normally, you delouse a person with a fine-tooth comb, but here you're delousing them with a club. <laughs> let me here. Let me get that spot. I saw this is way off topic, <laughs> but I just I saw. Oh man, this is I just this just what popped into my own mind is that there's, there must be some sort of filter on some sort of something that makes it look like a spider is crawling on your face. I just saw a video of series of like videos where people were looking and smashing themselves in their own face to get rid of the spider. This one girl hit herself in the face with a book, almost knocked herself out. I think that's pretty, that's my kind of sense of humor. Anyway, that's de, that's Luther's sense of humor too. Delousing a fool with a club. <laughs> that's the, that you got the picture. Okay. Okay. And says, let me look at the chat here. Uh, I have great difficulty with the text. I've always read it through the lens of the law. Rachel stole from her father, but then you ponder the object of her law-breaking and their household idols. Is it a good work? If I compare it to the laws of the Old Testament in which punishments sometimes seem harsh, but God constantly says, purge the evil from the midst of Israel, 
uh, such as the idols here, where evil proliferates, we truly suffer. We certainly get a full view of the absurdity of a servant attending to rescue his false god. That's a really nice way to say it. You, you, the insanity of Laban for his money under the guise of piety, which is idolatry, it shows the it shows the insanity of sin. I think that's right. And what do you do when you're in the midst of that? I mean, when you've had it's it's just hard for us to imagine 20 years of this kind of severe oppression. I mean, it's demonic what Laban does. And and here's Rachel and Leah who who have no father really, just a a taskmaster. And Jacob, remember it's also Jacob's uncle. It's his uncle and his father-in-law. That's coming up in a bit. No affection, no kind, only greed. Uh, and to think that, you know, just imagine Rachel and Leah going to visit Jacob, sorry, going to visit their father, Laban, and they see him sitting around. He's got these golden idols all around or whatever, brass, and he's sitting there eating grapes. And they know that 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 Jacob, their husband, is sleeping on the rocks in the wilderness. He's 90 years old. He's sleeping on the rocks and they're and and making their father rich and he's laughing about it. I mean it's just that kind of cruelty is tough to endure. Where are now back to the text over here? Let me get my little pointer. Uh, where, the, where are now those pretentious words and fabricated charges? You stole my heart, you fled. Such as he heard, hurled forth in great rage. They vanished like smoke. But stupid Laban refuses to understand this, although God reminded him in a dream not to say anything harsh to Jacob. So Jacob adds a gloss here and explains the Lord's words, saying, You've charged me with such great sins unjustly and foolishly. All these things of which you accuse me apply more correctly to you for God has said so, and your conscience testifies to it. There's his conscience again. And notice how Jacob is appealing to the conscience. So, stupid Nabal has to be given a beating that he might see that he has erred. This is answering a fool according to his folly, lest he seem wise to himself. For one should not pretend not to hear the revilings of Satan invented against godliness and God himself. But they must be exposed and refuted. Such refutation is not sin, it's not unjust or reprehensible anger, but holy and just and godly jealousy, which is angry at ungodliness and sin. Now, again, let the student be warned, this is for me and for you, that we, we can cover up sinful anger with our own justification. So we can say, oh, look, I, it's righteous anger, and remember this Remember this thing that I told you Dr. Kleinig told me? The devil loves to use our being right. We are experts at at justifying ourselves and saying, oh, this is a righteous anger. This is a good anger. So, so let us be very, very slow to anger. And when we find ourselves excusing our own anger, let us be very, very careful that it is, in fact, the right thing to do, but also to know that there are times when that anger is, in fact, required of us. And that we ought to be angry. Remember the remember the two this uh, 
the kind of two sides to this thing that so that there's a there's a righteous anger let's call it courage and that's over here and then on the other side there's patience and so we're called to patience and courage but there's a there's a um there's a there's on the other side of courage is there's a sinful foolishness and on the other side of patience there's a sinful fear and we always we always want to do this where like well no look i'm being courageous but really we're just being foolish but we use courage to cover up our foolishness or we say look i'm just being patient and loving but really we're being afraid we saw this remember how we saw this in 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 covid i i I'm courageous and you're just being fearful. I'm loving and you're just being foolish. <laughs> so we actually probably need each other because if I'm a fool, I, I cover my foolishness with courage and I can't see it. And if I'm afraid, I cover my fear with love and I can't see it. So we need each other to drag each other. Okay, we need to have courage and patience. We, we need to have boldness and love at the same time. That's the, that's the trick. That's, the, ver that's the, the very difficult thing because there is a time for godly jealousy that's what the, uh we should not pretend not to hear the revilings of satan and vent against godless and god himself they must be exposed and refuted they have to be brought out such refutation is not sin it's not unjust or reprehensible anger but holy and just and godly jealousy which is angry at ungodliness and sin so we have to make sure that our anger is at the right thing one of the ways to test it is to ask am i angry is the, is does this anger belong to my person or to my office am i angry because i'm brian and i'm offended or am i angry because i'm a christian and i'm offended am i angry because i'm brian and i personally take offense to this or am i am i angry because i'm a pastor or because i'm a teacher of the lord's word etc cetera, etc cetera. So that we're not called to that personal anger, but to the we but we're often given offices of anger. This is very difficult when parenting, right? Because if I'm angry at my kids, am I angry because I'm their parent and they've done something wrong and I love them and so I'm I'm my anger is to correct them, or am I angry because they've they've disappointed me or embarrassed me or upset me or something to me? Is it to my office or to my person? And if anger comes from the person, it's it's sin i think every way it's sin but at least we'll say this it's almost always sin but when anger comes from the office that's when it can be a righteous anger yeah. so that we don't endure false doctrine and false teaching we got to be a little bit you know christians are christians are sassy christians are a little bit troublemakers christians are not We've got a standard for doctrine and stuff. So, Mark asks, when is it right to call someone out when they're endorsing sinful behavior? I find myself tempted to be silent versus confronting them. So this is a very difficult question and because there's so many different factors. We have to ask, what is my vocation? For example, am I a father or mother? Then that's different than if I'm a neighbor. And that's different than if I'm a friend or a boss, or a grandparent, or a godparent, or whatever. What 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 is my vocation? 
And that vocation is going to kind of dis- determine what, you know, what it's going to look like for me to get involved. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is I, I want to pull myself out of the situation. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm trying to do it for them. So do I have their, do I have their good as my chief concern? Uh, am, and then the question, am I afraid? And to recognize that whenever we're afraid to do something, that the Lord is giving us the gift of, of an opportunity to be courageous. That's nice. Uh, when we get angry, Carrie says, when we get angry in defense of someone we love, we have to be careful not then to justify our lovelessness to that person. That's what anger is, is that justified lovelessness. I don't have to love, I'm supposed to love everyone, but not you, because you did this to me. You did this to me, and I'm sinned against and angry, and so now I don't have to love you. And that is never, we, we that is not authorized. Jesus says, love your enemies, which means that you are not allowed to scratch someone off of the people to love list because we're angry at them. Love might take a different shape when we're angry at them or when someone is sinning against us. And that's the always the question. What is the shape that love takes? And remember that that shape of love is determined by, as far as I can tell, five questions. Do we, we, I think we've discussed this before, but it, it maybe doesn't hurt to review uh, the, the, the shape of love. Um, because love looks different depending on a lot of different things. The first thing is the Ten Commandments. So that my love is shaped by the Ten Commandments, never against the Ten Commandments. For example, you know, the, the guy who tells his girlfriend, hey, I love you, so let's break the Sixth Commandment. You cannot, love never breaks the commandments. Okay. The second is our vocation. What's our calling? My love for the kids looks very different than my love for the members of the church, for example two different vocations and callings. So that's there. Uh, the third is, what is our neighbor's need? Here's the Good Samaritan. If there's someone who needs our help, then the, our our love is it goes to, to meet the need of our neighbor. The fourth thing is, what what am I what do I have? Uh, what are my own can uh, what is this gifts? This has to do with what do I like to do? What am I good at doing? This has to the question of like, what shape should love take when I'm trying to determine my vocation? Well, what are you good at? What do you like to do? That's where this comes in. Now, notice those questions are way down here after these three. So there's some there's a way that even our neighbor's need can be compelling. And then here's the tricky one. My neighbor's sin also shapes the way that I love. And this is this is where it gets really tricky. For example, if I've got a, a cousin who who needs to borrow some money, oh yeah, it's no problem. But if that if that cousin is uh, like a crack dealer or something, then I know that helping him out helps him out in, in some sort of terrible thing. And so now my normal way of loving is constrained by his own sinfulness. Um, this has to do with being invited to your to your aunt's getting married to her girlfriend kind of thing you can't your our love is shaped by our also by our neighbors there's a constraint we don't participate we can't participate in sin and so that kind of puts constraints on our love okay uh, I got a note here that says we have to keep in mind the Apostle Paul's exhortation 
an admonition to be gentle in our correcting, even with wrong doctrine, uh, that has to do especially with... Um, that, that remember that th this idea of of making the distinction between the false teacher and the falsely taught and here luther has a very helpful thing in his galatians commentary he compares it to a child being bitten by a dog and if you see a child bitten by the dog you react in anger but that anger looks like kicking the dog and comforting the child and so when we're dealing with false teachers we, and false teaching, we have to say, are you falsely? Are you a false teacher or are you falsely taught? Are you to be kicked or consoled? And are you a child or a dog? And our assumption, I hope, we begin with is that the, the person is falsely taught. Even if they're perpetuating false doctrine, it's because they've been falsely taught it. So we start out with, with a gentleness. Sin, uh, such rebukes, let's see if we can do... Uh, here, such rebukes are useful so that men may not persevere in errors and sins and remain slaves of Satan who have driven them on and beset them. But their sins must be made known that men may be converted and liberated from the tyranny of Satan. We too are attacking the Pope as the Antichrist and seducer of the whole world. We expose and condemn ungodliness and idolatrous madness of every kind. We are incited to anger against him not by personal ambition here this is great this luther's making the same distinction that i was making and i forgot or when i was looking at this i didn't i didn't even notice it it's not personal it's not an anger it's luther we're not doing this because uh, luther's not reforming the church because he's personally offended by the, what the pope said about him that's not it's not it's not connected to the person but connected to the office righteous jealousy and fervor of conscience to vindicate and protect the glory of God. This is not our glory. It's God's glory. Jacob, moreover, brings pressure to bear on his father-in-law and stops his Laban's mouth by asking, what sin have I committed? What have I become guilty of? What's my iniquity? Here I commend the experts of the Hebrew language that inquire into the difference between the two words, sin and iniquity. Sin and iniquity. There's three, there's three main words in the um there's three main words in Hebrew that we that we look to here: sin, iniquity, and transgression. And each of them has a its own unique thing. Luther's going to talk about it for a little bit, but the main thing is that that this a pasa signifies guilt of omission and uh uh, hatsa, hatse, a sin of commission. So this is doing something, and this is doing something wrong, and the other is failing to do that which is right. Uh, and that's also connected to original sin. Hatsa signifies omitted things that should be done. Hatsa, uh, hatse here, I think hatse is doing things that should be omitted. So he's going to give some examples of those two words. I think that maybe the, the cleanest one is in uh, Psalm 32. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So all three of those there. Uh, there are two things for which you could have censured me. If I had committed anything that I should not have done, or if I have omitted doing what I should have been part of my duty, show me the one or the other. Show me the thing that I did wrong, 
Show me the right thing that I failed to do. You say I've cast off obedience, stolen your idols, taken away your daughters. These are manifest lies. You yourself are compelled to acknowledge my innocence by word and deed. Add to that the testimony of God and your conscience. Remember his conscience. Indeed, you yourself are guilty of both sins. For you have sinned by omitting what belonged to the regard and remuneration of myself and your daughters. You gave them neither dowry nor any portion of their inheritance. Then you perpetrated a sin of commission by pursuing us and plotting evil against us. These are very grave sins, which you certainly ought to acknowledge and for which you should seek pardon. So Laban's honor is turned to greatest disgrace. How close are we to this place where I want to go? All right, we're going to have to stop there, I think. So let's get to, the, we'll do this paragraph. So Laban's honor is turned into the greatest disgrace. Now Jacob enumerates his outrageous sins in particular. You have been all aflame against me, he says, for you have not simply persecuted and pursued me, but you're inflamed and raging with anger, for that's the meaning of dalach. Elsewhere, as in Psalm 7, this is uh, this is a really nice passage, actually. He, he made his arrows fiery shafts. That is, he wants to shoot fire, set fire to the city. So he increases Laban's guilt not only extensively by enlarging on it, but also intensively. So you've done all these different things, and you've done them very well <laughs> or aggressively. You've pursued me, he says, with a crowd of relatives of friends burning and raging that you would have been glad to use swords and fiery darts against me like a man possessed by a demon. This is the, this is the rage of Laban as he comes after him. He rebukes him quite severely. All right. Huh. We didn't get as far as I wanted, but let's stop it here uh, and so we can have some time for conversation. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll stop the recording and, and visit some. Well, Lord, we give you thanks that you, uh, in this encounter with Jacob and Laban, teach us wisdom, patience, love for our enemy, uh, how to treat sin and rebuke it uh, for the sake of the good of our neighbor. We pray that we would learn and rejoice in the wisdom and comfort and courage that you give to us in your word. We ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Stop, share, stop.